I want to talk to you this morning about the struggles that's involved with the call of God. We're talking about the struggles. Last week, we talked a little bit about disappointment. And we're going to talk about disappointment again this morning. And we're going to talk about how God uses disappointments in our life to do what God's trying to do in us. And then we're going to talk about not only disappointments, we're going to talk about how disappointments build to discouragements. Now, disappointments are going to come. There's not any way we can keep disappointments from happening to our life. Well, for one reason that they come is we misunderstand things. We have life planned out the way we want it to go. And a lot of times we've just missed the plan of God. In fact, a lot of us think that God's around just to make us happy. And we don't understand that we really exist to make God happy. It's God's purpose that we've been put on planet Earth for. And that God made us like that. He created us to the thing that makes us the happiest. It's in when we do what we know God put us here to do. So for whatever that is, then it's just so important that we come to a place to recognize the call of God and then hopefully we prepare for the call of God on our life. And then ultimate happiness in our life is as we do what God called us to do in life. And then the ultimate goal is to stand before the Lord one day and hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You did what I put you on earth to do. We were created for God's purpose. So we're going to see that in the life of the Elijah, the prophet. How Well, the Bible says in the book of James that he's a man just like we are. Man, that helps me. <laughs> if I can understand that he wasn't a superhero. That's why the Bible is so wonderful. Because the Bible fills itself up with successes and failures of the same men. And if we would be honest with ourselves, that's our life too. What we hope happens is that there's more successes than there are failures. But we live a life, a lot of times, disappointed. Many of you are disappointed with what life has produced for you. Many of you are disappointed with relationships in your life. Many times we live with the disappointment of our financial condition, disappointment with the ministry that we thought was going to fruition. We thought we, were, we, thought, we thought people would understand and appreciate us, and then we go unappreciated. Failure in other people's lives affect us. When they fail to be or fail to do what they're supposed to do or be, then it affects us and it ends in disappointment. So disappointments are there. But what we cannot allow to happen is for disappointments to give way to discouragements. Because discourage, it means discourage, there's lack of courage. And for God to work in my life, God can't work in my life with discouragement. Now God's a master at working with disappointments. If I'm handling or working with my disappointments in life, man, God can work with that because faith can still be in God. (laughs) But when you begin to grow discouraged, 
then you won't be able to do what God's expecting you to be able to do to bring about what he wants to do for you. Because <laughs> courage drains all the, uh, discouragement drains all the strength out of your life. There's no strength left to fight anymore. There's no strength to believe anymore. There's no strength to do when God's really needing me to step forth. When God says, come out and step on the water and whatever that water is, whether that water is a profession, whether that water is a health issue, whatever it is, when God's expecting me to step out of my boat and answer his call and step out on the water, that finally God can be God in my life and prove himself to be strong, I have no strength to do that. So discouragement drains me. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 says, And Ahab told Jezebel, Oh yeah, we're going to talk about her again and him again. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them. By tomorrow, about this time, verse 3 says, And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself, talking about Elijah, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. For I am no better than my father's. Verse 5 says, And then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, as so many people that have allowed discouragement take hold of their life, and then the next stage is depression, and then the next stage is checking out, or desiring to check out. And he prayed that he might die and said, Is enough. Verse 5 said, And he lay and slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Verse 7 says, And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, Elijah, because the journey is too great for you. I want you to know the purpose that God's put you on earth to do is too great for you. You've got to know, you are not created to handle it by yourself. You are not created it to handle it alone. One of the major things that destroys people when they move into it, when they find things in this life that are disappointing, then the next thing is discouragement. One of the major things is because you're trying to handle it on your own. God even created Adam in the very book of Genesis, at the very starting out, to where that God had to show up every day and had to walk with Adam in the cool of the day for Adam to be able to do what God put him on earth to do. See, Adam could not do it without God. I mean, every day I can just see Adam standing there twiddling his thumbs saying, what am I going to call that animal? 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 Well, how am I going to take care of this garden? How am I going to keep that tree alive? And all the questions that come up with whatever God's put us on earth to do. But then God showed up every day. God would meet Adam there at the gate and God and Adam would walk in the cool of the day and God would talk to Adam. That's the way God made us. 
is to deeply and desperately need Him to be able to do whatever we were going to do. If we're going to do it successful, if we're going to do it happily, if we're going to do it not discouraged, if we're going to do it encouraged, if we're going to do it faithful, if we're going to finally be able to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish on earth. And and believe it or not, God has not put any of us here for us. God put us here for Him. It's to display His glory. Each of our lives are to display the glory of God where others can see there's a God that loves them and wants to help them. That's what it is all about. And so if you leave God out of that, then you've already failed what God put you here to do. It said, and he arose and he ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, there's been others that went to this same place. I'm so thankful that Elijah knew where to go. Do I need some help? Please don't ask Elaine that, please. (laughs) Ah, yes. Uh, Because this is the same mount of God that others that were of God went to hear God. There's always something that God's working in our our future. For us to fulfill the purpose of God, God's always calling us up. Literally, we're all in a process of change. And literally, that's what God is using this disappointment in our life for, is to force us into change. And if we allow discouragement to overtake us in the midst of that disappointment, we won't change. We will evolve into less. Whatever you're going through, God wants to use it to make a better you and a better me out of it. Whatever you're facing, even if it feels and seems to be so far from what I believed or so far from what I was holding on to, God still wants to use it. Things that we're disappointed with comes by a virtue of different things. One thing they come by is the devil, man. The devil just hates you and he's always fighting you. So he wants to stop everything that you're put here to do. But the second thing is Sometimes I'm completely wrong at what I'm supposed to do or the way I'm supposed to do it or what I see life is this big when God is seeing life this big for me. And for example, Elijah at this place, we're going to go back just a little bit, back into um, in chapter 17 when Elijah came on the scene. And it simply says this in Elijah's introduction. It said, and Elijah the Tishbite. I said last week, man, isn't that something to be called a Tishbite? It's like you've been called a tick or something, you know. Elijah the Tishbite. What it literally says that Elijah was a nobody, a nothing. But what Elijah had that made him special was is that God has spoken to his heart. And God had given him a mission. I want you to know the mission of God will take nobody to make somebody. The mission of God, whatever it is that God, once you find God's purpose for you on earth, it takes the mundane and makes it exciting. And in the the process of that, Elijah the Tishbite walked out on the scene. But through the word of the Lord that God had for him, God called him to challenge the nation that had desperately turned against God. In fact, the king of that time was Ahab and his wife was Jezebel. And Ahab, the Bible says, was the most wicked king ever. I mean, what he did was bad. 
And, and, but we also, we find that it wasn't, it didn't originate with him. It originated in the heart of Jezebel. But you, you have to think about Jezebel differently, don't you, to understand Jezebel. Because Jezebel wasn't a lady that just painted herself like a harlot. That's not Jezebel. Jezebel was conspired and pressed by a spirit that was behind her. And unless you begin to recognize some of what you fight, you can't see. Some of what you have to resist, you can't see. Some of what you feel, you can't see. Now, some you do. Uh, some of life is normal, but you still have to handle it spiritual. But some of life is real spiritual that you cannot handle it normal. That you have to deal with spiritual things in a spiritual way. And what was behind Jezebel was something else. It was a spirit that was driving her. In fact, where we began at 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 1 is Jezebel is given a response to Elijah because Elijah has just accomplished the miraculous. In fact, Elijah went to Ahab the king and he said, it won't rain. <laughs> and they laughed at him. But with about a year or two years of it not raining, they recognized that that little Tishbite has something special. And during that process of time that, that God had used Elijah, the little nobody, the little that, that out of obscurity that nobody heard of, and the little man of God that was willing to sacrifice to fulfill what God wanted him to do. Because he pronounced it won't rain and then he disappeared or he went into the place. He was directed by God to live out beside a brook. And as he lived beside this brook cherub, he was fed by ravens. And I told him in the early service this morning, it'd been different if, he, if God would have said, I'm going to provide for you during the drought. I'm going to provide to you, you every day you would drive through the line at, at the McDonald's and you would pick up a Happy Meal and I'll take care of you. But that wasn't the direction. The direction was this. You're going to live out there alone. And I tell you what, people that spend a lot of time and get lonely, you know it's hard. But I want you to know there's a, there's a sense of being alone that you make yourself alone, but there's also a sense of God allowing you to be alone that's very godly. And Elijah's was that aloneness that was very godly. But during, that, during those moments of sacrifice, he, God had asked him to sacrifice. What it was, he was fed by ravens, and he drank out of a brook. I, I don't know about you, but, but eating a bird scraps doesn't sound too good to me. To eat what the bird's already been nipping on doesn't sound really good, but God calls people to make great sacrifices because that's in his purpose. Because in his great purpose, God is building a man or building a woman. And in the process of that, God was building and God was making into Elijah the man that God had called him to be. Because see, Elijah, the reason Elijah was disappointed because Elijah had this limited scope of time. And Elijah went from the brook to the Lord led him then to be, be fed by a widow lady. I don't know about you, but if a guy came into this church and he said, God told me that the widow lady of this church was going to take care of me, I said, you need to come in and talk to your pastor. That's not right. 
It's not right that you would be eating off of a widow lady that's all, that barely has enough. But that's what God called Elijah to do. Can you imagine the humiliation? Can you imagine? But that's what God asked him to do. In the process of the time, now Elijah did raise the child from dead. That's a wonderful thing. But then all of a sudden the Tishbite began, as the, as the drought went further and further, the little Tishbite, there was nothing. All of a sudden he became something in that nation. Everybody started saying, where is the guy with the key to heaven? <laughs> and they started searching for him and they found him. Well, at this time the whole nation recognizes Elijah. And Elijah steps to the forefront. He said, it's ready for a showdown. And in the showdown, Elijah said this. The God that will answer by fire, he will be the God. Because God has taken that little man out of obscurity, taken that little man that was a nobody, and God said, I'm going to use you to show people that I'm a somebody who God is. And in front of the whole nation, God did this. And we know the story, how God answered by fire. How, how you know, the, the prophets of Baal, they begged their God to come and come and come. And, and he was afraid to show up because he knew Jehovah was there. So he wouldn't come. He didn't show up. But God came. And God honored the word of Elijah. God came from heaven in a fire. He consumed Elijah's sacrifice, licked up the water that Elijah had made it hard for God or, or thought making it harder for God to, to answer that prayer and then all of a sudden, then the Bible says the whole nation fell prostrate before God. The whole nation did finally. The little man that had lived by himself all those years, the little man that was lonely, the little man that was embarrassed by being fed by, by a widow, the little man that had sacrificed all, all of a sudden, that little man had brought a whole nation to their knees. Wow. And the whole nation fell down and they said, we know God. We will serve the Lord. Well, Ahab, the king, saw all of this. And he was so excited. See, because Ahab... Now, this... Can I put in Jerry's version just a quick moment here? Jerry's version is this. Because deep in Ahab's heart, because he had a, a godly lineage back there somewhere, and in his heart he had a love for God. But he had allowed himself to be ruled by, this, by the spirit of Jezebel. Now, I didn't, I didn't go ahead and mention that because it wasn't a lady. It was a lady that manifested it, but behind that lady was a spirit. That, that spirit didn't die when Jezebel died. Because in the book of Revelations, that spirit is still alive. In fact, God in the book of Revelations, thousands of years later, is still addressing that spirit of Jezebel. And I want you to know that spirit's not dead yet. Are you here? Now that spirit. And so what was behind that lady was very demonic. Ahab had a sense, I believe, of a love for God because immediately when that happened, he was so happy. Man, Ahab jumped in his chariot, and you know he had the finest horses. Man, he's king. And he, and he sent out his chariot. He, was, he couldn't wait to get back to the palace. And I know what he was going for. He was going there to tell Jezebel because he felt, I believe, he felt that she would finally be willing to change, that she would finally be willing to accept God as God. And some way his heart would be released. And so that's what happened. Jahab, he got in his chair and he began to run. Well, Elijah had this anointing, man, upon him. Uh, just this powerful anointing came on him. And even though Ahab began to race toward his palace, Elijah on foot outran the king's horses. 
and arrived there 20 miles and arrived there. And then when Ahab got there, he went and he told Jezebel. He said, Jezebel, let me tell you what's happened. Oh, we finally know. We finally know who is God. We're not wrestling with this anymore. But that anger began immediately to arise in Jezebel. See, because it's a spirit. And some of you fight spirits. Now, some of you are just things. You can make up your mind. You make some decisions and you can stick with it. But others of you fight such bondage because you know that what you fight is not natural. I'm going to tell you something. If you've wrestled with an addiction over a period of time and you've quit 20 times trying to pull yourself out, I'm going to tell you, it may be not natural. And that's what Jezebel has. She has something a hold to her life that was not natural. And, that, and this anger rose and what she did immediately, she sent a letter to, uh, to Elijah and said, I'm going to do to you what you did to those prophets. Those prophets of Baal, you destroyed them, I'm going to do that to you. And Lord and behold, disappointment came over Ahab. You can understand that disappointment a little bit, can't you? He's given himself. He has lived with the birds. He's he's sacrificed to to be humiliated, to be fed by a widow lady. I mean, mean, he has done all of that. And now when the nation finally dropped down, the little Tishbite becomes somebody and finally recognizes that God is God. The whole nation falls down and worships God in a moment's time. When Jezebel went the other way, they went the other way. In a moment's time, that whole nation stood up and said, they were going to, or that nation turned immediately against God. And that's disappointing. When you give your life to a group of people, when you give your life to a family, when you give your life to somebody, when you give your life, when you give your whole life to something, and, and then they, and then when things look like they're going to get better, and all of a sudden, right in the midst of them, looking like they get better, the thing gets worse than it ever has been. And that thing was disappointing. But it was also had a, a spiritual empowerment. Now, what, what, what Elijah should have done, what he did, I mean, this is the guy I'm talking about that called down fire from heaven. This is a guy that didn't think it was, it, it was okay that, that sacrificed himself to live by a brook cherub and to be fed by ravens. This is the little guy that raised people from the dead. This is the little guy that did marvelous things for God. This is the little guy that was a nobody that became a somebody. And all of a sudden, when he got that letter, and Jezebel knew, that spirit knew just how to attack him. I want you to know, this, that spirit or that person or whatever it is knows just how to attack you. And I pray that your eyes go beyond people, that you can see the spirits that's involved. Because you can spend the rest of your life fighting people. And I'm going to tell you what, that spirit would just move from people to people or person to person. And you can fight this one and you can fight it with all your might. And then you turn around and fight this one with all your might. You can make think that there's, there's all these people against me. Well, it really is that same spirit that's just moving to stop you. Because the enemy is so afraid that you're going to finally fulfill what God's called you to do. And the enemy is so against God's purpose in your life that, that he fights. And so it becomes spiritual. And it was spiritual. I mean, it wasn't natural for this thing to affect Elijah the way it did. I mean, Elijah's a mighty man of God. He's always handled things in faith and trust and trust. And now all of a sudden, he gets a letter. And some way, he did not fight this thing. See, because where the first battleground is, if you're going to handle disappointment, you're going to have to begin to handle it in your mind. As long as you allow your mind to rule you, as long as you allow your feelings to rule you, as long as you allow that to take place, you're never going to be able to handle disappointment. And that's exactly what happened with 
with Elijah. They came as words. Now, if they would have come in some other way, it may have been different, but it came as words. And words have this, have this sharp appeal to us to, to fight. And words is what you can't get out of your mind. The words reason you can't forgive people. The words is why the, you can't deal with rejection. The words is why the people disappoint you because the words, you can't seem to get the words out of your mind. You can't forget what they did or you can't forget what she did or you can't forget that disappointment. You can't forget what battle you faced in some way those words have formed such a battle that goes on in your mind. And if you're going to ever accomplish what God has for you, you're going to have to learn to fight it in your mind. The first battlefield you're going to have to learn. And Elijah should have known that. See, because the wilderness is part of life. The wilderness is part of life. And our whole process in this life is growing. We're changing and we're growing. And we're coming more into the person that God's called us to be and that God desires us to be. That is, if we're yielding to the Lord, if you're yielding into discouragement, if you're discouraged and you're giving your way, if depression has set a hold in your life, you're not becoming more who you, God's called you to be. You're becoming less who God's called you to be. But if you're going to win that battle, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to learn not to own thoughts. Most people want to own thoughts. They want to think well of themselves. So, so they think they think all well of themselves. So they own their thoughts. They have no idea that certain thoughts. See, Jesus taught us that in the wilderness is where that great men or great women of God are made. Every great woman, every great man of God goes through the wilderness. That's part of your disappointing part of life. You've got to walk through that. And you've got to learn how to handle it. If you never learn how to handle it, you're never going to become the person that God called you to be. You've got to learn how to handle it. You've got to just put your foot down and say, devil, it doesn't matter. I'm going to learn how to handle this. I'm going to come over this. I'm going to come out of this. But Elijah some way failed to do that. Next thing he found himself wanting to die. Handling your thought life. Recognizing. See, Jesus taught us that so well, didn't he? See, every one of the major men of God went through that wilderness experience. In fact, the, will, the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy, says that great and terrible wilderness. That's the way it describes it. That great and that terrible wilderness where there were snakes and scorpions and drought. All the bad stuff is in the wilderness. And it's in the wilderness, but the Bible says that in the wilderness is where God tests us and teaches us and trains us. Somebody says, I want a state-of-the-art school to be trained in. <laughs> I want. But God says, no, I'm going to send you into the wilderness. How you handle your wilderness will determine whether you're able to fulfill God's purpose in life. It's not the height, it's the depths that God wants to train us all in. <laughs> Laura, you and Duane, I'm so thankful. I mean, they've sat here this morning just a few months ago, well, for the last several years, they have desired to be a mama and a daddy. That's been their great dream. And that thing was fleeting from them. And they have tried in so many different ways to, to accomplish that. But it was always fleeting from them. But here a while back, there, there came just a spirit of faith upon them to where they began to handle that disappointment differently. They began to intercede and they began to pray over it and they began to believe the Lord for a miracle. I tell you what, I saw that couple, men attending prayer meetings, and I knew what they were there for. They were there to pray for other people's miracle that they could receive their miracle. 
Some of you are so discouraged, you can't even think about doing something for somebody else because you're so tied up in your own life. You've got to realize, you've got to come out of that. You've got to come out of that pit. If you're ever going to be the person that God's called you to be, you've got to get out of that pit, honey. That's part of the wilderness experience. And they walked, and they began to believe the Lord. I love the end of our prayer meetings because the end of our prayer meetings, what we would do, we'd take a few moments, we'd lay hands and pray. But then it still was waiting. Uh, You know what the word waiting means? They that wait upon the Lord, they do what? Some of you are waiting for your disaster. Well, you know what's coming around your disaster, but some of you are waiting on the Lord. (laughs) Oh, you that are waiting on the Lord, it's a totally different story for you. You're right in the midst of that wilderness and you're waiting on the Lord. You're waiting on the Lord to open the right door. You're waiting on the Lord to bring the miracle. You're waiting on the Lord to bring the right relationship into your life. You're waiting on the Lord for God to open up that thing. You're trusting the Lord. And that's what the wilderness is to do, is to produce a great trust in our life. It produces a have-to trust. Either I'm going to let disappointment go into discouragement. And discouragement is going to lead me right into depression. And I'm going to lose what God has for me. Or I'm going to begin to take a hold of this thing. So Jesus taught us in his wilderness. We can also study Moses' wilderness. We can also study David's wilderness, Jeremiah's wilderness, Isaiah's wilderness. Every great man of God you find, even Paul had his wilderness. But the Bible says in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus had his wilderness. And Jesus taught us how to handle our disappointments right. What happened in the disappointment with with Jesus? The Bible says he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested of the devil. I mean, why does God? That's why the Bible says that great and terrible wilderness is full of snakes. It's full of scorpions. It's full of bad things. It's full of hard things. It's full of disappointments. Somebody said, well, I accepted the Lord and nothing has ever went wrong. Boy, have you got some things to learn. If you've been doing that for any length of time, things are soon going to (laughs) change. You don't have to worry about getting bored. Because every person that's going to accomplish anything for the Lord has to have wildernesses in their life. Jesus taught us how to handle it right, didn't he? The Bible says he was led of the Spirit, and there's, and there's only two things that takes place in the wilderness with Jesus. Two things. One thing is the devil tells him a lie. The second thing, Jesus tells him the truth. That's all it takes place. Over and over and over again. That is the walk of the wilderness. The devil's telling him what his fear says, and Jesus telling him what the Word says. This is a year to get the promises of God down. God is going to be able to build in your life what the promises of God that you've laid hold on. If God's going to be able to do anything miraculously in your life, in my life, in our lives, it's going to be a result of promises that we believe. Things that you stand on. That's learning to trust God. And what you're going to do when you don't see it come to pass, you're in a wilderness, honey. And you're going to keep believing. Because there's something that God gives you in the wilderness, and that is His grace. There is grace for the wilderness. Some of you don't know that. Some of you think you can't handle it. I've done far as I can. I can't keep from being angry. I can't keep from being upset. I cannot forgive them. I cannot. You don't understand. The grace of God is for the wilderness. 
The grace of God is for the wilderness. Whatever you cannot handle, it's what the grace of God is there for. The grace of God is heavy. I tell you what, I have watched the grace of God more in the last two weeks. I tell you, Inga Thomas, you are such an example of God's grace in the midst of the wilderness. Don't you think so? Give the Lord a hand clap. Such an example of the grace of God. Jeremy and Trent, I saw y'all walk through that. I saw that day in the, when the hospital called, called you in there and you allowed us to be there. When they gave that little life that you're now holding, they gave it completely up. They said there's no way that that baby's going to live past today. But I saw both of you stand and trust God in the midst of your wilderness. Amen. And now you're holding the result of that. Amen. That's what a wilderness. But there's grace. Everybody say there's grace. Everybody wants to give excuses, but it's not excuses that will not produce in your life. It's the grace that will produce in our lives. Let me close with this. I'm going to be talking about discouragement for a couple of weeks now. Because discouragement is the greatest tool of the enemy. It's the greatest tool that the devil has to try to take away from you everything that God died, Jesus died to give you. If the devil can discourage you, He can keep from happening what God wants to do for you. Because you must come to a place to believe it with God. That's what the promises are. God believes it. And the wilderness is to see whether you believe it. That's why in the wilderness you can't trust your feelings. The promise of God is stronger than your feelings. You, you cannot trust what you think. That's what Jesus told us. That's what he taught us in his wilderness. Get in your heart the promises that God has promised you. And no matter what you see, do not let the devil drag that out of you. Now let me quickly say this. That the right disappointments is the process of the wilderness in changing. We all see our lives this far. But the truth of it is, God's looking this far. God has a much wider view. And the truth of the matter is, if you stay like you are, if I stay like I am, I'm never going to be able to see God like He really is. And I'm never going to be able to believe that God can do what He wants me to believe Him to do. Elijah was disappointed. And because he wouldn't fight it back with the promise of God, what God had told him, then discouragement set out. His mind was filled full of doubts, and so he stood there and said, I'm ready to die. God, just kill me. I've been there. You've been there? But the Bible said that the Lord spoke to him and said, or the angel spoke to him and said, this journey is too great for you. You can't handle the disappointments that you've been through. But my grace can handle it. So God fed him with a supernatural nourishment. And the Bible said, that Elijah got up and he ran for 40 days, 40 nights, man. Because God was calling him to a higher place. And 
This is what the wilderness is to let you know. What you have been and where you have been has worked for the past, but it won't work for your future. The way you've thought about things has worked for your past. It's been okay. It's, God's been there. But it's the thing about it. It won't work for your future. That's what God... Elijah's disappointment was that a nation, instead of serving God, they had immediately turned back against and accepted Baal. So God cures him up in the mountain. And you remember what he said? He said, Elijah, why are you here? Because God's eyes were bigger than the now. God said, Elijah, I want you to anoint Jehu. I want you to anoint the new Syrian king. And I want you to anoint the one that's taken over you. What God said my eyes are big. I see that next generation coming. Elijah's limited view could only see himself in those people gathered around him. And God said, I'm going to carry you up into a higher place, Elijah. I'm going to carry you to this place that's going to affect not only you and not only those around you, I'm carrying you up to affect the whole next generation and every generation after that for the glory of God. So the wilderness, what the wilderness has to do, <laughs> it's a process of change. It's a process of the grace of God making me different, helping me to feel different, helping me to think different, helping me to believe different. And the way God does that is help me stand in opposition to what I feel, in opposition to what I think about things, and help me stand in opposition to what I see. And, and God says, it's like Roger Bannister in, in, in 54, no one had ever broke the four-minute mile. I mean, it was impossible. They said, you can't break that. It's humanly impossible. They said, it's impossible that a man could move that fast. Something happened in 1954 when Roger Bannister believed that he could do the impossible. And he broke it. And it's been broken so many times ever since. Because God takes wilderness people to prove that what has been in the past will no longer hold us in to our future. Amen. Close with this thought. In the book of Jeremiah, it says that Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and he found a work wrought on the wheels. And that's what each one of us are. I mean, the wilderness is that that's molding us and shaping us. Now, you can be molded into the wrong as easy as you can be molded into the right, but the grace of God will help us to be molded into the right to where that we can come to that next level that God's trying to call us to. To where that we can come to the place that we see what we're believing God is so much less than what God had in store for my life. All I could see was this, and God had this for me. And so in the process of it, Jeremiah saw at the potter's house, he saw a brokenness in the vessel. You know, when a 
When a potter is making a vessel, it takes two hands. Stay with me just a quick minute. I want you to see find yourself. It takes two hands. It takes one hand that molds and shapes the outside of the vessel. Then it takes another hand to create an empty space in that vessel so that vessel can be prepared for something wonderful to be poured into it. What I'm telling you is God's got something wonderful that He wants to pour into your life. God has a preparation. God has a plan for you that far exceeds anything you've ever imagined. You say, God, I don't understand what this crazy stuff is going on because God at one time, He's shaping the outside. But with His very other hand, God's creating a hole in you. God is creating a vacancy in you. You say, God, I don't understand. It looks like I'm losing. God said, you're not losing. I'm making room. I'm making room. I'm making room. I'm making room for the next stage. I'm making room. I'm making room in you. I'm making room. I'm making room for something glorious to happen in you. I'm making room.